Welcome to the family with Ralph W. Basham, Hackmaster, Andy Bernard, and Cassie Schrader. We'll be right back, hour two, with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive introduces the new kids on the block, not the band. It's their three newest dealerships. Experience the Walzer Way at Wyzetta Nissan on 394 or Walzer Polar Chev and Walzer Polar Mazda on Highway 61 in White Bear Lake. I've had all three general managers on the podcast, and I can honestly say that Mike, John, and Brett are some of the finest car people in the seven-county Mosquito Control District. This month, in addition to great deals, they're searching for used cars and will pay Kelly Blue Book Excellent whether you trade or sell outright. Some reconditioning can apply, so please, no flood cars from Apple Valley. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Chevy, Mazda, or Nissan, check out the new kids on the block. Don't tell them Tom sent you. Just show up and be amazed. That stuff never works anyway. We're one rocking out. That's all I know. We are back. How are we doing? Yes, ready? Yes, oh, he's ready. ready. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that. Works for me. How you doing? All right, all right. How you doing? Whoops, there. You kind of broke up there. What'd you say, Jamal? I said, all right, all right, hanging in there and yourself. Okay, yes, I'm, I'm all, all right, all right, all right. I thought it was Matthew McConaughey for a second. All right, <laughs> all right, all right. He loves doing that. I thought I was too. Jamal, true love, you're a smart man, the last black man in San Francisco. Although, where have you moved, Jamal? I'm warning you, if you're moving from San Francisco, you can't poop on the sidewalk anywhere else, Jamal, so be careful. Oh, uh, you know, that's the epidemic out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. It's true. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> God. Nasty. Everybody knows about the poop on the sidewalk. The poop on the sidewalk. Jamal True Love, ladies and gentlemen, whose incredible personal story we are assuming you're aware of. Not a stranger to the spotlight. Jamal co-stars in a critically lauded feature. Joe Talbot's The Last Black Man in San Francisco from A24 Films, opposite Jimmy Fails, Jonathan Majors, Danny Glover, Rob Morgan, Tachina Arnold, and an assembly of talented performers. The Last Black Man in San Francisco is a dramatic feature directed and produced by Joe Talbot based on a story by Jimmy Fells and Talbot, which in turn is partly based on Fells' own life. Jimmy dreams of reclaiming the Victorian home his grandfather built in the heart of San... Oh, my God. I can see this. Jamal, a Victorian home, whether it's in disrepair or not, a Victorian home in San Francisco has got to be worth a fortune, isn't it? Yeah, for real. Absolutely. Regardless. Yeah, it doesn't... Yeah, none of it matters. I mean, how is it... I believe San Francisco is the most expensive real estate market in America, is it not? No, nah, it is. Uh, I believe median rate just to live in San Francisco right now is like at $3,100. Wow. Unbelievable. So how'd you get involved with this project, Jamal? Well, actually, I was volunteering for uh, a nonprofit organization called United Players. Uh, based out of here uh, in San Francisco. And uh, Joe and Jimmy came in, and they were looking for some kids to, to um, 
for the for the rock fighting inside the movie. They were looking for some kids. And uh, Rudy Corpez, my mentor, had, had let me know that, you know, that they were doing a movie and they came looking for some kids. So I went inside there and, I you know, I always wanted to act. I always wanted to, you know, get into it. Just never really had a real opportunity to do so. Um, I, I, I love music. I do music. I've, I've always felt like you know, I could do a little bit of everything. So I went in, I, you know, talked to Joe and, and Jimmy. It came with the charisma, told him who I was, so forth. So I won't ask him if he had any roles available. And then he had said he he actually does. So he gave me a he gave me a script, gave me ten minutes. You know what I mean, and I ran and I ran for him. Uh, he invited me back to read again about a week later then about a couple of days later from that he invited me back one more time and bada boom bada bing i got the roll i like that bada boom bada bing <laughs> bada bop bada boop bada beep bada bop the sunny corleone and the godfather love it um I like the idea of this. The last black man in San Francisco is a poignant and sweeping story of hometowns and how they're made and kept alive by the people who love them. We're just talking about this, Jamal. Um, I grew up in North Minneapolis, uh, which is an area that would be the, the, the lowest income neighborhood in the entire state of Minnesota. But I still drive through there every day. I still absolutely love it. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very poor area. It's a really poor area, but I still, just cause I grew up there, I absolutely love it, Jamal. And it's kind of what this is all about, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, living in San Francisco, I mean, being black in San Francisco in general, just knowing like when I, when I was a kid, uh, it I always want to, you know, get older. I love the culture of San Francisco and all the things, and mm-hmm. you know, um, that we have home here, uh, the Fillmore, the Mission, of course, how everything was built out. And that's when you grew to love San Francisco. But as I got older, and when we got older, when it was time to actually get out there and be able to do the things that we fell in love with, it ended up changing where, you know, things weren't the same like how they were when we were kids uh, in the, the, the demographic of people and, you know, people buying all the way into San Francisco and when gentrification really, you know, set in and it yeah. started being very, but it's still, it's San Francisco still, they still love the city uh, to death. We just gotta, we gotta be able to keep the culture around. You know, it's amazing about that. While you were talking, Jamal, I was thinking to this kid, because I lived in, by the time I was 22 years old, I lived in 43 different houses in pretty much the same neighborhood. It was bizarre. My uh, family lived at 2955 Russell, 3015 Russell, and 3115 Russell, all on the same block. It sounds like it's three blocks, but it's all pretty much on the same block. But it was just, you know, the rent came yeah. due and it's time to move. You know, it was one of those kind of deals. The rent came up and it's like, hey, time to go. We got we to gotta move on. But, you know, you look back at things <laughs> like that. I, I, I look back at when I do drive through there, think of all the things that happened. You know, my mother was a diner waitress and she she worked the overnight shift and and, uh, you know, it was not a, not a safe neighborhood, but my mother was a very tough woman and she, she really could handle herself and goes, yeah, stop messing with me. Just leave me alone. She was terrific with that stuff. There's so much to love about where you grew up. And I, I suppose that's true, Jamal, of everybody. Everybody loves the way they grew up, I would think, no matter how bad or how good it was. Uh, I think that's probably true, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, you, you find a, a, a infinity for, you know, a place that you grew up in, like, like uh, uh, for instance, in San Francisco. We have projects in San Francisco. I'm mm-hmm. from studying projects. Regardless, regardless is, it's looked at as, uh, you know, a negative area and bad things go, uh, go on over there. It's still my neighborhood, you know. It's still right. something that, you know, we tried uh, from, from from being from in San Francisco. And I like to say, even with somebody, okay, if you're born in Knob Hill, you're from Knob Hill. Right. And you, know, you take pride in being from Knob Hill. You say you're from Knob Hill. But the, the difference is, is you're not considered, you know, this potential gang member or this potential negative person when you're coming from Knob Hill. So, right. you know, it's just, it just it's, it's, it's different. 
but now at the same time, it, it's all the same thing. You know, the hood is only short for neighborhood. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The hood is just your neighborhood, which is where you grew up. Uh, no doubt about that. It, are, are there a lot? Because I, I don't know this, Jamal, and I don't know why I don't know this, but are there a lot of gangs in San Francisco? Oh, it's, it's definitely, I mean, how we look at it, there's a lot of hood. Let's call it like that. Yeah, like yeah gang, okay, okay. Or, you know, like, you know, like blood, the Crips and stuff like that. San Francisco, the Bay Area ain't, ain't really known for like, you know, uh, blood, the Crips. We know for like projects, having, you know, yeah, yep. block. So I wouldn't consider, uh, you know, it gangs. But, you know, we, we have we have people and we have projects, you know, where people rep they, where they from. And, and like I said, it's, it's, it's neighborhood based. The, the thing is, is, you know, we're, a lot of us are just born into these, you know, um, into a poverty stricken area. And you only learn, you learn what you learn up until the age of 13, 12, when you start rebelling and you feel like you know what you're doing. So if you grow up until the age of 12, 13, and all you see was these uh, uh, these positive negatives, uh, you end up adapting that to yourself and then feeling like this is what you got to do in order to fit in inside this community. Yeah, I think it's... So, when a community don't have the right, the right outlets, are are uh, people uh, uh, the people aren't doing everything that the people outside of the community is necessarily doing? Then you know you tend to you tend to draw to what you actually see when you step outside on that on on that uh, front step. Yeah, I love that. Uh, the last black man in San Francisco opened about ten days ago, somewhere in there. Uh, it opened a lot more theaters last Friday. It will open to far more theaters this. Friday, June twenty first, it opens at it. Do you know how many how many theaters nationwide the the movie's going to open in Jamal? I believe it's uh, it's going to be reaching seventy five cities and, um, and beyond. Yeah, that'll be great. Is, is Jamal True Love your birth name? Yes, it is. That's a great Jamal name. Rashid True Love. That's a great name, <laughs> you know. I got. I got. I'd ask you a question. I don't know. Are you a married man now, or, or, or are you with somebody? No, I'm not. I'm not married. I'm. I'm married to work at this point. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. But I gotta. I gotta be honest with you. You went on like uh, what are those? What are those websites again? That uh, you know, those dating websites. Dating yeah, what what's the name of the dating website? Well, there's website? like plenty of fish. There's yeah, Match.com. Match.com, yeah. Jamal, <laughs> if you ever went on, if you were on Match.com with the name Jamal True Love, everybody would ping you. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't they? I, 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 see, I, might, I might have to get on there. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jamal True Love, man, I got to reach out to this guy. He's got nothing but good intentions, right? Hey, look. <laughs> Hey, look! Everybody, everybody think I made it up anyway. I mean, <laughs> initially, they're like, "Is that the real name?" Like, yeah, you know, and I got it from my mama. You got it from your mama. So is your mama? I hope, I hope she knows how well you're doing. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, shout good. out, mom, Duke. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful thing. I'm looking forward to seeing the last black man in San Francisco, Jamal True Love. I appreciate your time today. It opens nationwide this Friday, June 21st. Jamal, thank you very, very much. Great talking to you, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, everybody, make sure they get out and go see the last black man in San Francisco. It's it's a must watch. It's uh um it's 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 a great movie all the way around. I will be going to see it. Thank you, Jamal. All right, now, thank you. All right, bye. What a nice guy. Yeah. Where'd you find him? Um, well, I found I I got the press release for it and I was like, you know, this seems like an interesting yeah. an interesting movie. Um, and he was falsely, I mean, being in prison, I think it was in 2007, he was falsely, mm-hmm. falsely accused of murder. And yeah, I did that, see that, but he didn't want to talk about that, so I didn't bring yeah, it up. Yeah. So he's he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of had a a rough go at it but I, i'm kind of glad to see that he's kind of flourishing in some type of outlet where he can right find a craft and kind got, of redeem an, himself looks like he got an award too yeah got a bit of an award out of that whole thing that false impri- or false yeah, 13 million dollars 13 million not yeah. bad 
How did that? I'd take it. God, let's have him back on. I want to talk about the thirteen million. Hey, Jamal, can I get a hundred? <laughs> do do you, know. you do you think that people Tom you you can speak to this because you grew up in North Minneapolis? Do you think people who grow up in that environment have a hard time adjusting to other environments? No doubt about God, it. Yes. So, so suppose that if you were there, <laughs> even Andy goes, "Oh God, yes." Everyone I've ever met who grew up in Dad's old neighborhood with him, they. Have a very like they've never left the neighborhood in some degree. That's very true. No, you're absolutely right about that. Boy, is that is that is that true for everybody? So you grew up on Knob Hill. I think pretty much you, everybody. Are you able to yeah, adapt maybe. to other other areas? And maybe that is, is that. Well, look at me. I grew up in Dayton, and I still hate cities. I don't even like <laughs> medium-sized cities. You don't. Andy yeah. likes growing up, living in the country. That yep. is true. Yeah, well, I grew up in the country too, but man, I can't get enough big cities. I mean, it, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, that's that, that, that's, that's interesting because you you just I, when he said that to be growing in the projects, being in the projects, you know, how do you adjust? You adapt to what you where you are, but if you grow up that way, it it's a hard. It must be hard to adapt. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's you know what's amazing about that what Andy's just talking about, like people from my neighborhood are always on the lookout um, for somebody wanting to start trouble or start a fight or something because mm-hmm. that's how you grew up. Once a person like me gets out of our neighborhood and goes and meets other people, a lot of people smiling in your face and shaking your hand while they're picking your pocket. There's a lot of that that goes on. That doesn't happen too much in my neighborhood because you'd end up dead. Yeah, you know. But outside, that's the one thing I did notice about people who are not from my neighborhood. Not everybody, but a, a big number of people. They cannot wait to try to get out any money you got. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So but, I guess people grew up how they grew up. But, you know? but people in your neighborhood that ask you for ask you for something. How about a twenty? You got some twenty? You got something for me? Yeah, you got. A how, about a <laughs> how about a Lucy? How about a Lucy, man? That's all I know. We shall take a break here. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes. We'll be schmoozing. Mm-hmm. What? Nothing. You got an agenda, I can tell. Oh, no, I don't have an agenda. <laughs> we'll be right back with the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me, too? No. (laughs) (laughs) God, thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't. <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Got to figure out this is vanilla ice or queen. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's one of the two, we know that. Well, knowing my taste in music, who would I play? Queen. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. And Vanilla Ice did say, ours goes do 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 Really? That's the most dumbest explanation. Is, that's really how no yours goes? No wonder Knight hung him off a balcony. He did. He hung yeah. him upside down <laughs> off a balcony. By his ankle, wasn't it? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> 
And a, it was not a low uh, first or second floor balcony either. No. It was up there. It had a little, little elevation. Uh, I got lucky last night because I didn't know it was even out there, but I was scrolling through you know, looking for something to watch on television. And actually, I don't remember what channel it was on, but there was a Don Rickles documentary on last night. My God, what a, what a story that whole thing was. They had Bob Newhart in it? Bob, Bob Newhart was in friend. it. Yeah, Bob Newhart and he were the best best of friends. It's absolutely true. Uh, but all the guys just kept talking about, you know, Don Rickles. And first of all, there is no way Don Rickles would break today. Mm-hmm. Not a chance. Nope. Too offensive. Too offensive to people. Oh, you hurt my feelings. I was like, <laughs> oh, God. I would love to see Rickles' response to that if you told him you hurt, his, if, oh, if you God. hurt your feelings. <laughs> By the way, I interviewed him twice. Nicest man you'd ever want to talk to. Mm-hmm. Just a great guy. Very caring, nice man. Cared for his friends, all the rest of it. It was an act, ladies and gentlemen. It wasn't meant to be taken seriously. Like he was on the dais one time on the Dean Martin Celebrity Roast, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the guy sitting to the left, the guy being roasted, is Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. Okay? So he's, you know, he's talking about, it's the only black Jew I know. I mean, he's going down this whole <laughs> list of things. And he goes, I love you, Sammy. He reaches over and kisses him. And he comes over and goes, do I have any black on my lips? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no way. No. And Sammy Davis Jr. laughed his ass off. He thought it was very funny. Mm-hmm. It was not meant to harm people. It was the... Basically, what Don Rickles did was point out all the idiocy of, of some people. Yeah, yeah. Racism. Racism. Uh, exactly. Stereotypes. Anti-Semitism, racism, all the rest of it. And some people, oh, he was so racist and anti-Semitic. No, it, it, it's the exact opposite of what you perceived him to be. That's kind of like, I think that's why Dave Chappelle was so successful. Absolutely. He, he did the same thing, but as being a black man instead of being Rickles and people didn't understand what he was trying to do. He was trying to take the power out of the... A hundred percent true. Hate and anger out of the, the racism issue and say, look, it's just words. It's just make fun of it. One of my you know? favorite things about Dave Chappelle is when the white family had the, the big N for a last name. <laughs> yeah. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. Because he'd come in, he's the milkman. Well, good morning, big N's. How are you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it, was just, it was phenomenal. Did he say like they were having pork for breakfast? Yeah, they were <laughs> pork for breakfast. It was fantastic. It was very, very funny. Chappelle was great. Look, Don Rickles and Dave Chappelle got to be huge because they understood... Uh, that exposing this ridiculousness that some of the oh I'm I'm so I'm so hurt you hurt my feeling mm-hmm. why are you such a delicate flower that you can have your feelings hurt so easily but it's mm-hmm. but it's what's removed as well because people say oh I'm hurt because you said something that may have hurt someone else yeah. mm-hmm. like what what well, do you have an example of uh, what that would be uh, well so, so many so many say say they they'll say something about uh, they want to redefine the word black now. They because do. yeah, they want to redefine the word black. Okay, so what does because, it mean now? Well, I don't know what it means now, but what they want to change the definition because they they feel that the word black, when referring to certain people, which was actually asked for by the activists in that racial group That's at correct. that time. That's correct. Black Panthers. But but yeah. but there are bad connotations to black. It's black magic. There's black things. Things are things are bad or black. But now they want to change this definition. It's a bizarre odd thing because the people that are driving that are people that think that other people might be offended by that word you know what amazes me about that they love to ignore the great connotations of the uh, of the word black if you're in the black that means you're in really good shape financially right. yeah, there you go. but let's ignore that part oh it's a black mark it, it, it's ink for christ's sake this is what we're talking about we're talking about blue ink black ink whatever it is it's not negative in any way, shape, or form to be in the black. It's a very good thing to be in the black. Yeah. So oh, why yeah. do we want to just ignore that part of it? Who knows? Who knows? I don't get it either. Plus the fact, my favorite is still in the, well, first of all, the word negro just means black in Italian. Nero or negro. Negro is actually how it is. And that's more Spanish. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that, I'm sure there's certain dialects in Italy. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of dialects in Italy that would, there are. That would probably say that as well. And there's no question about it. One of my favorite Ray Donovan episodes ever is when John Voigt, the old man of everybody, he has a black son, and he entices his son to come down and box in Mexico, right? <laughs> so the young black man flies down to Mexico, and he comes in under these posters all over the place that say they call him 
El Negro. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? El Negro. I mean, it was, it's phenomenal, the whole thing. And I can't, I think it was, was it Samuel L. Jackson? Well, damn, Negro, that's all you had to say. <laughs> Which I think is wonderful. Yeah. It's just black. That doesn't, nothing negative about calling someone a Negro. It's just black. That's all it is. And once again, I, there are many instances where black is a very positive thing. Mm-hmm. Why do we ignore that? I don't. I don't know. But the, the black hole is all powerful because all powerful, it, 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 exactly. it absorbs everything into it. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. You're right. We. You, you just. It's just. Just an odd, odd diversion from other things. I think these people have this. Oh, I'm offended. We have to do something about this. Where it's really not addressing a real problem. <laughs> I have a friend, a Native American friend, who just texted me. Don't mention being in the red. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll stay away from that for now. Don't mention being in the red. <laughs> oh, well done. Oh, that's great. That's phenomenal. I, see, that's how we need to return to a clear understanding that all the stuff that's so offensive isn't really offensive. No. And that's why comedy has to have that leeway. They should, they should be able to say whatever you want. Oh, God, yes. Absolutely. Say whatever you want because... The market will fit it, fix it. If you are that mm-hmm. bad and that offensive, it's really that bad. People don't want to hear this, don't want to be introspective, well, then they will not go to your humor. Well, I mean, look at the three examples we could use. We could use Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle, and Don Rickles. And basically, in a way, I think Rodney Dangerfield was all about, oh, you know, oh, oh poor me or oh, poor you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Great stuff, but I don't hear any of that stuff anymore. People no. just won't do it anymore, which is too bad. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a Bobby Slayton. Bobby Slayton's another perfect example <laughs> you of know, it, and he's a guy that doesn't even work that much anymore. You know, he was, he was he, his act, what many people would criticize him for being misogynistic, yet he was his, the, his wife was the love of his life. He made dinner for her every yeah, night. Yeah, he did, yep. Every night. Yep. And was devoted to her, and that was that was from some one of his friends who spent time with him in his home. Yep. And and that when you hear that sort of thing, yeah, it's an act. It's just it an, act. an act. It's a character. It's a character. That, people are trying to make a living because it makes you laugh, makes you be introspective, makes you be. I don't know. You feel better about uh, having heard some of these things because you need to hear this stuff. Except for Paul Mooney. <laughs> Paul, Paul does get a little carried away, doesn't he? Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't like white people that much. I, Paul, well, he doesn't. But they, I tell you what, on the Chappelle show, Negro Damas was hilarious. <laughs> I know that was hilarious. And he lost. And he lost. He, he was not the winner of the of the game show. I know black people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, was he was not, not the, winner. the winner. He was not. That we got to be able to hook up again and laugh at one another about this stuff. Yeah. Look, there are going to be people who hate everyone no matter what color you are they hate everybody there's nothing we can do about that it just you know that but <laughs> negro Thomas was hilarious <laughs> he would predict things on the Chappelle show i know he well i like i like the ask a black dude ask a black dude was another great one. oh yeah. he did he did ask a black man oh yeah oh, that's right black dude right. ask a black dude. dude yeah he um oh god well see he wrote for richard Pryor too he did absolutely he did Paul Mooney. Paul oh, Mooney Paul wrote Pony, for Richard yeah. Pryor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, I mean, it happens. A guy just said to me the other night, I won't identify him because it's not necessary. But he said, you know, you know, Tom, why you're not a white man? You have a lot of black friends, so you don't qualify as a white man anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, see, now that's funny to me because basically, in the back in the day, yeah, that yeah. If, you, if you were a white guy that knew a lot of black people, you were well again. I still do think that a lot of a lot of these people on the way way far left treat me the way they do, because it's always been oh he's one of them you know he's one of those guys from the north from the north side you know it's just it's just too raw for them or something yeah. I don't know what that is yeah you you have you have two maybe you have too close a relationship to black people to other cultures other uh, other groups you have too close a relationship you know it's you know it's it's you know and. I don't know. I think that I think that uh, um, uh, Malcolm X really had he he had a, he was interviewed one time about liberal uh, liberals in America, right? And he had he had 
complete suspicion for them. He said, this is not good. These people are not for your best interest. They are just using you. And, you know, and I, and I think you you get, you know, you know, the, both the far left and the far right are just, they really have a problem with this, with any minority. No, it's true. And there are people who are minorities that have a problem with every white person. They just do. Uh, A good example of that would be Louis Farrakhan. Yeah. He hates Jews and he has a real hard time covering it up. You know, and they do think that he was one of the guys that killed Malcolm X. Man. They think that he was involved in that because all of a sudden Malcolm decided, you know what? Separation is not the key to this. It's everybody getting along and working together. And he lived about another three, four months after he started talking about that. Yep. And then he was shot to death. He came back from his tour in yep. uh, with uh, the Muslims in Saudi Arabia or Africa. Yep, absolutely. He, and he came Both, back actually, and, he had, yeah. and he had an epiphany, and they didn't like his epiphany. They so. did not like his epiphany. You're right. absolutely right, right about that. Well, they did, because he, he changed his attitude, his, his approach to this altogether. He got away from absolute hatred to maybe, hey, let's just be cautious with this, and let's try to work together with some of this so we can come to some common good. Yeah, I mean, one thing you were talking about, Dave Chappelle, earlier, he got a lot of heat from some people in the black yep. community. They say Reverend, uh, what's his name, Jackson? Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson mm-hmm. was getting on him saying, hey, man, you're you're making white people laugh at us. This is not good. Al Sharpton. And Al Sharpton was involved in that. Oh, you white people are laughing at us now. That's not good. They're not laughing at you. They're laughing at along with you at cultural differences. Well, I got a little Paul Mooney if you want to hear it. Oh, I love Paul Mooney. <laughs> bastard this is like outtakes is. from Ask a Black Dude from the Dave Chappelle show. <laughs> and he, God, he's so funny. He is very funny. Why we black people like to smoke so much weed? Can you tell me why? Well, I have a question for that nigga. Well, where are your teeth? <laughs> <laughs> we might have to, might have to edit that one out. Uh, <laughs> it cracks me up. But I think black people like to smoke weed because... They're so depressed about not working. So they just get a blunt and try to get high and forget. Yeah. But it's very sad because most people that I know that smoke weed, I don't do drugs. Most of them that I know, they forget a lot. And I love that commercial on marijuana that used to be on when they came out and said, about, you about your memory? I said, I smoke it and I don't forget. And then they, what was I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess it all depends on what kind of herb you speak. I mean, I'm not into yeah. any yeah. kind of drugs, you know, so I. I don't have an answer for that. I, I think black people just like to party. They have that in their, their blood. And sometimes they can go overboard, and it's real sad. And don't ask me about drugs. Ask Whitney and Bobby. Don't ask me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, man. Man. oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> See, that's how raw he was. He was. He, he was just raw and <sighs> in your face. <laughs> and, and he, could be, he was so poignant, and all of a sudden, just like, boom. Yeah. Just, oh, he was. That is funny. He, God, had, a, he had a great delivery. Guy. And I think he was probably a perfect writer for Richard Pryor, you know. Oh, I think it's absolutely true. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. But he, <laughs> he, honest to God, Paul Mooney just lays it out there. You know who loves him is Philip. Philip loves Paul Mooney. And I do too, actually. Because, you know, I, I don't, that whole hard shell that he has toward white people, I don't think it's really there. Mm-hmm. He, it's kind of a way to protect himself. And mm-hmm. I do understand it. But I... I've never gotten the feeling that Paul Mooney hates white people. And why don't we give him, give him credit? He has a character. He's a character, a exactly. Character. I mean, that's what Settle he's doing. Down. Let him be. Let, him be. Mm-hmm. let the Cassie's, guy be. Cassie's got a little work to do with that, and it later. <laughs> Working <laughs> over <laughs> it. Yes, that's I'm so sure all funny. the outstate radio stations have loved that. Yeah, I'll edit that part <laughs> out. But yeah, it's just, I love Paul Mooney. I, just, I don't know. I just love that, that rawness that those kind of comedians have. Yes, yeah, and that they yeah. don't. They don't try and sugarcoat it, and they don't care if they offend you. You know, if you don't like it, then get out. And, yeah, right. You know, I, I'm, I'm, it's sad to see comedy moving away from that. And he, oh, they're not, they're never coming back to that either. And they'll never come back to that because it's just too oh, just too offen. It's not offensive. It gets people used to one another. Calm down. I make fun of myself all Absolutely. the time. I do too. <laughs> you know, I make fun of you all the time. I mean, myself. <laughs> <laughs> self-deprecating. 
but yeah, and it's just because I think Dave Chappelle also at one of one of his ends of his uh, shows he did like a Q and A of like, yeah. why do you think these stereotypes are so offensive? And he asked one like, why yeah. is it offensive yep. to black people if we like fried chicken? It's delicious. Not why at is all. it offensive? Mm-hmm. We talked about that you know just <clears throat> last week with Father Father's Day every year. Uh, we would have fried chicken, watermelon, and, and, and mashed potatoes because it's poor people food. It's my favorite food in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we grew up poor. I loved it. Hey, you know, mom brought home some fried chicken. This is wonderful. There's worse things to be labeled as than eating fried chicken. Yeah, you know no doubt I mean? about that. We'll be right back with uh, part three, hour two, the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. I'm talking to Neil Sheehy, ex-NHL defenseman. Neil, you've had a great success following the Nutramost Wellness Plan. How much weight did you lose, and what makes Nutramost different from all those other programs out there? Tom, I dropped over 63 pounds in 44 days, but more importantly, I know how to keep it off. In addition to my success, I have two brothers and two sisters who had great success on the Nutramost Wellness Program, and collectively, we all lost a total of 222 pounds on the program. My brother and I were so impressed that we decided to open up a clinic in Plymouth. Find out how and why Nutramost is unlike any other weight loss plan by attending the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, June 24th, at Jake's in Plymouth. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Register for the Nutramost dinner or schedule your immediate consultation. Call 763-333-7337. That is 763-333-7337. Whose birthday is it today? Why is she playing this song? Whose birthday is Nobody. it? Nobody. Well, I know there's. It's Paul McCartney's birthday. It is. Yeah, look it up. Oh. I'm almost. I'm almost certain it's. I thought that's why you were playing this. I'm oh. almost certain it's Paul McCartney's birthday today. Oh, I'll have to look it up. We Maybe it is. Look it up, Paul McCartney. I believe he's 77 today. Wow. I believe that's true. That I am. I'm looking 80. forward to seeing that movie yesterday. I am too. We are too. It's a week from Friday, right? Yeah. We're well. I'm, I think we're going to the screener for it. I I saw the. We don't tri- want to hear about it. You're inside. <laughs> you know why you're going to see Toy Story so, Four tonight? I'll give you. I'll be working. By the way, while <laughs> I'll you're give there. you a heads up to see if you're going to like it or not. Oh, I, I think I, I've, I've liked all the three of the first ones. I, I thought the. I thought the trailer for it. Oh yeah, his birthday is today. See, born June eight, June eighteenth, nineteen forty two. Yeah, so he is seventy seven years old. Well, that was weird that I played Paul. a Beatles song on his birthday. I know it's in the back it. of maybe, your head. Maybe I had, yeah, yeah subconsciously knew it. <laughs> <laughs> she subconsciously knew it was Paul McCartney's birthday. How old's Mick Jagger? He's got to be right around that oh, same God. thing, seventy seven, somewhere in there. Because he was released uh, to his. Nine hundred, six hundred to nine hundred dollar tickets. He's seventy five. He's only seventy five. He's younger than Paul. I didn't know that. I thought he'd be about the same. Well, he is about the same age. Seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven. I think uh, John Lennon would be coming up on eighty now. I think. Huh. Um, how old would John Lennon be if he were still alive, Andy? Because I think I think he might have been eighty by now. What well, December was his? Birth, he was birth, born in December, wasn't he? He would have. He. Be turning 80 in October this year. In October, there you go. So just a few months, huh. he'd be, yeah, so I thought he'd be he's almost 80 years, he's almost 80 years old. He was three he's, years older, or two, two and a half years yeah. older. Wow. Yeah, indeed. And I think Ringo might even been, have been the oldest Beatle, wasn't he? Maybe. 
Ringo might already be 80 years old. Uh, Ringo is very slightly older than John Lennon. That's what I thought. Yeah, so I think three months. So basically, he would have been in August or or July. July next month. July seventh. Years old. Mm -hmm. July seventh. Our anniversary, Catherine and I. My anniversary is July seventh, and Ringo's going to be 80 on Mm. our anniversary this year. I cannot believe that Ringo. Apparently, no, he's going to be 79. Oh, 79. He was born in 1940. Yeah, so it'll be 79. There you go. Right. There you go. So that's the deal there. So he's a little younger than, than John Lennon. And uh, Paul McCartney's birthday being today, love Paul McCartney, always will. Well, the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Are there ever going to be anything like the Beatles ever again? Probably not. No. No, because nothing has come up from any of the, the rock bands. There are just no real bands. There are no real Bands no, that are popular like, like that. that, and they were they were together. Well, I mean, in America, in, in England, obviously they broke earlier, but in America, didn't they break literally right around when JFK was was murdered? Right? Yeah, I think it was right in the same month. I think if we look back, they broke yeah. an American six. I think in November '63. I think that's right. And their one album dropped right the day. JFK was I think killed, that's or right. the day after some I such thing. I you think you're. I think was that Meet the Beatles? It might be. Did that break in in on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three? Yeah. Andy, you're looking it up. Uh, no. I'm looking it up on <laughs> Rolling Stone. No. I'm uploading the show. Yeah, it says the Fab Four landed in the country mourning the death of John F. Kennedy. So <clears throat> they must have like started their tour right after his assassination. I'm mm. assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, well, and it says here, uh, for for that matter, Paul McCartney, who said he believed that in in the Beatles' success was the moment in December 1962 when the band's debut single "Love Me Do" on first appeared on the British pop charts. Yeah, British pop charts, right? In Let's in '62, yep. and then Friday, February seventh, nineteen sixty-four. That's when they aired on Ed Sullivan. Sixty-four. Yeah. So they did come here in, in November of 63, but they didn't debut on Ed Sullivan until February 64. Yeah. Okay, I guess that does make sense. And what was the first question that was asked of Paul McCartney in America, and how did he answer it? Oh, I, oh, I don't know. This. this is phenomenal because it is recorded somewhere. Uh, Paul McCartney was asked um, <laughs> about what's your favorite music, and he responded american negro music Mm -hmm. that's what he said he said because that back then negro still just means black it's not a negative word at all but he said american negro music was his favorite music uh, of all time well that's what they labeled that kind of music you know that you know bluesy and yeah yeah but he was but he was also that that includes jazz blues Motown, it does. Motown was running it, so that so that whole genre, and of course mm-hmm. the Rolling Stones had a, an affinity for that too. They 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 uh, did a number of things that were like that that had that sort of uh, to- that sort of sound. It was a black woman who coined the term rock and roll. As a matter of fact, damn it, why can't I think of her name? <clears throat> I'm getting old. That's the problem. <laughs> but a black woman called called uh, that music rock and roll based on people having sex. That's why she called it rock and roll. Isn't that amazing? It was all based on having sex. And who the hell was it? God, I can't remember. She, um, roll with me, Henry. Rock with me, Henry. Roll with me, Henry was her song. But I don't remember her name. Oh, it was Sister Rosetta Tharp. Rosetta Tharp, very good. (laughs) Yes. And she was, it says, the black woman who invented the rock and roll sound, Rosetta Tharp was born 100 years ago today, March 20th, 1915. March 20th, okay. 20 years before Elvis and the decade before Chuck Berry. See, there you go. Yes, but the, another person, a disc jockey named Alan Free, Alan is Freed. widely credited for using the term walk. But she walk. invented it, and then yeah. he used it. Alan Freed died broke, by the way. Did you know that? Oh, did he? Alan Freed died flat broke. He was basically, he's the one who broke rock and roll music in America, and he died uh, very, very young, and he died broke. Oh, that's sad. Well, he's a disc jockey. He's not exactly <laughs> Mr. Banker. <laughs> a radio person there. A radio person there. ne'er do well. But back then, radio was so important. Oh, I know. Oh, God, yes. You know, oh, so yeah. it's like 
the the disc jockeys were like these huge celebrities. You they know? were back then, yeah. Yeah, so it, no it's doubt sad about that he it. Died broken alone. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm sure that nobody stole his money. Oh, that that, didn't <laughs> no, that wouldn't have happened. It's like Tommy James and the Shondells. That scumbag stole what forty to fifty million from him. Oh God. Oh God, it's is right. It's just disgusting. But, if we can go back for a minute, there have been in the last twenty years there have been no groups like uh, like uh, the Rolling Stones, like the Beatles. No, no, it doesn't happen anymore. It's all pretty much much more poppy music than rock and roll, or it's uh, white guys trying to sound black, which is kind of like it wasn't really what rock and roll is, but it kind of is now. Huh. You know. And then, and of course, then they're just electronic music, and that's way yeah. more popular than anything else, where people yeah, are, are doing doing that sort of thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I just, uh, I don't know. I, not a fan. I loved, uh, I love rhythm and blues. I cannot stand rap music. I just don't like it because it replaced r- r- rhythm and blues. You yeah. know, I don't like that. Don't be replacing rhythm and blues. You heard me. Yeah, and so and so many of the t- interesting. If you listen to a lot of the. Um, a lot of the Motown, a lot of the R&B, it's all about love songs and, the, you know, being oh, left by your woman or your man and that sort of stuff. But when you go look at rap, it's 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 not that. It's it's more, you know, yeah. and more violent. It's either, It doesn't touch on those topics. It's, it's touching on other things, no. political things or social things, I guess. I mean, you had the Supremes, the Temptations, you had Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Later on, you had Tower of Power. I was a huge Tower of Power fan. It was so very hard to go, and there was some magnificent music. What is hip? That was a great song. Great bass, uh, great bass lines in their music. Yeah. I want to ask you guys this question. Would you be offended by this? Because I am not at all, but of course nobody has a sense of humor anymore, so everyone's offended by everything. The Topeka Police Department said it was a lighthearted Father's Day tweet, but a lot of people were not laughing does your father have warrants? Is he carrying around any drugs? Has he been committing any crimes? The Sunday morning tweet asks. Want to give him a Father's Day he'll never forget? Call Topeka Police Department and we'll help your family make a memory that will last a lifetime. In other words, yeah. if your dad's a criminal, we're going to arrest him on Father's Day. <laughs> That's funny. It's lighthearted and it's funny. Oh, I'm so hurt by it. Yeah, well... But if you if you watch watch the movie uh, Seattle is dying, people that were arrested, given the appropriate uh, medical care, drugs mm-hmm. to stay drug free, right, illicit drug free, they say it saved their life. So maybe that's maybe it was a very good tweet trying absolutely. to say let's reach out, let's take care of your dad, get your dad on the right road. You're absolutely right, and it was intent is well intentioned. Yep. And people are just while well, the tweet was deleted around an hour later, the, the department apologized Monday, saying the angry reaction from the public was a learning experience that showed words, even when intended to be humorous, can be hurtful. It's yeah. a joke for God's sake. And maybe as a kid, hey, remember that kid? He was like a six-year-old, I think. Showed up at school with a bag of drugs and said, "These are my mom and dad's. What should we do?" Hmm. He was sick to mom and dad getting high, yeah. and he took the drugs at school and said, "You got to help me with my mom and dad." Wow. It's wonderful, don't you think? Boy, it takes it a lot of guts for a six-year-old. To <laughs> oh that. yeah, he was like a six, seven, eight-year-old. He wasn't. He was not older than me. I know exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to keep mom and dad on the straight and narrow. So look, I, there's nothing wrong with what the, this tweet did. It's like if your if your father is a, a drug addict or a criminal, yeah, let's help you and help him. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's right. What you were just talking about. That's Seattle's right. dying. Yeah, that's it. That's what they said. That's what they pointed to is that the idea of getting people, even though it, it has come as a result of an arrest rather than a self awareness or an epiphany on someone's part, that they they said it saved their life and. If we if we save a life rather than just ignoring this and let these people sort of sort of melt away in their uh, drug addiction, well, I think it's worthwhile. Man, they are throwing somebody under the bus here, though. Uh, the department uh, apologized Monday, saying angry reactions the, from the public was a learning experience that showed words, even when intended to be humorous, can be hurtful to others. The department said the tweet came from a member of our social media team. (laughs) (laughs) They threw somebody right under the bus, man. Now, University of Kansas student Neil Kennedy 
tells the Topeka Capital Journal that the tweet backs up her belief that the department is more interested in sending people to jail and removing them from communities than in promoting solutions like drug treatment. That is not true in any way, shape, or form, is what Ralph just said. A lot of people ended up in treatment programs, and it turned their lives around. And you can thank the cops for that, correct? That's right. You, you, there's, it's, it's, uh, you know, I've always said at some point in every man, uh, every uh, a drug user or alcoholic or anybody who's addicted, yeah. at some point in your life, you're going to reach a level of despair yep. that you may stop. Yep. And you, know, you are going to stop one way or the other. And that level of despair, that level of problems in your life is such that, you know, it's different for everybody. You know, my buddy uh, out, in, out in L.A., Mm-hmm. He had to be on Skid Row. Then he finally looked around and right. goes, whoa, 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 yeah, what, what's had this? A fr- what's his first name? Again? Conrad. Conrad. Yeah, Conrad. exactly. There he, you he go. Said, he, he said, you know, th- th- this, that was a level of despair. But other people, they said, geez, you know, I got divorced. You know, maybe I should stop doing the, doing the alcohol, doing the drugs. Maybe Absolutely. this was the problem. So then they get care. They get, they change. Some people need to be arrested. I you know, love this. They need some sort of a, there's some point where you're going to have to say, this is not good. I have to change, or I'm going to change, and and the programs that are available, particularly they for are, the incarcerated, yeah. are real things. That idea of using drugs, uh, of of li- illicit drugs to curb the the need for illicit drugs, that's key, and I think that's an important thing. I love this, by the way. This now this is a college student, so maybe you'll have to forgive her, but she said uh, <clears throat> the tweet glazes over the material facts of the police continually disrupting family structures and communities. No, it would be the criminal or drug addict parents, not the police, that are disrupting family structures. You know, again, I grew up in a poor neighborhood. My dad was taken away, but uh, the cops never, ever came to our house, tried to destroy our family structure. Never happened. I don't know. It, It just... Oops, we're trying to be funny about locking your dad up. Sorry you feel that way, uh, the the statement says. By the way, another uh, Father's Day tweet that was really unpopular, much more unpopular than this, Bill Cosby referring to himself as America's dad in a tweet on Sunday. (laughs) Bill, Bill, you're going to have to realize one of these days you're a complete dirtbag and you are where you belong because you preyed on defenseless people by drugging them. Yep. You're not America's dad, Bill. You were at one time. Yeah, people believed that, but you were still doing that stuff. At one time, people believed in you. Look, there is no bigger fan of Bill Cosby. And unfortunately for, for Catherine and Alex and me, we met Bill Cosby about an hour before they discovered he was doing this. It's like I finally met one of my heroes, then I find out the guy's a total scumbag. Yep. Yeah. What are you going to do? I guess we'll find out tomorrow with the family.